Thank you. you. may be seated. Open your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Titus, the little letter to Titus. Titus, who was the pastor in Crete. Before we begin reading, let me just mention some things here in chapter number one that I feel is pertinent to our message tonight. Paul says in verse four, he's writing to Titus, his, his own son after the common faith. But I want you to notice verse number five, especially he says, for this cause left I uh, thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, the things that are lacking, the things that are needed. And part of that was to ordain elders. And uh, then he gives qualifications, verse 6, if any be blameless. Verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. Verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcisions whose mouths must be stopped. So here was a church that had... uh, evidently a number of problems and uh, he says to Titus I'm leaving you in Crete this is your assignment I want you to to stay there and I want you to set these things in order Uh, let me tell you no no pastor enjoys dealing with problems but sometimes there are issues that have to be dealt with and that's what's going on here when we come to chapter number two, he says, speak the things which become sound doctrine. And he goes on and he begins to identify different groups in the church that need to be addressed. The aged men, verse two, the aged women, verse three, the young women, verse number four, the young men, verse number six. And he said, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, we pick up the reading tonight in verse number 9 where he addresses another group there in the church that are known as servants. And he says in verse 9, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again and not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto him a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, Let no man despise thee. Our text tonight is found in verse number 10, where he says in the very last part of the verse, he says, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I didn't give uh, our folks in the sound room a uh, title for the message tonight. You could call this Decorating Divine Doctrines or to simplify it, beautifying the truth, 
or to use the title that R.G. Lee made famous many years ago, Adorning the Doctrines. And uh, it's very obvious from what he says that is exactly what our responsibility is as Christians. Now, there's three things about this that I want you to know tonight, three things I want you to take into consideration in light of the fact that it's our responsibility to adorn or to beautify the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the subject of which he is speaking Notice he says adorn. That word adorn means to dress with ornaments. Uh, It's a word that would be used uh, if you were talking about adding beauty to something or splendor to something or attractiveness to something. Now notice in this case, he's talking about adorn the doctrine. The teaching of God. Now, you read that in the first thought, you think, well, my, that is absolutely impossible. I had the privilege of of hearing, being in the service, listening to Dr. R.G. Lee many years ago, who was, uh, well, he was an orator unlike anyone I've ever heard. I can't remember exactly what he said in this regards, but it was something about like this. He talked about adorning the doctrines and how would you do it? It'd be like adding red to rubies, sugar to honey, heat to sun, fragrance to the rose, or music to the nightingale, or moisture to water. And of course, he went on and he went on and he went on. And and finally, you're sitting there with your mouth open and thinking, my, uh, you know, point well made. How do you adorn the doctrines of Christ? There's nothing more precious, more wonderful in all of the world than the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he turns around and tells us, I want you to adorn the doctrines of Christ. We know they are perfect. They're beyond uh, uh, improvement. How do you improve on that? And what we need to realize is that the world in general does not have such a high esteem for the Word of God. You know, you and I as Christians, we see that. But other people in general, they don't think of the of the teachings of Christ as being something that is beautiful and something that is glorious and something that is needed. In fact, they they hate the Word of God. They despise the Bible. And, and, and the, the wonderful words of truth that you and I hear, and when we sit down and we read the Bible, and it just it, it comes alive and just blesses your heart, and they read it, and it's dry, it's dull, it's boring. They have absolutely no appetite for the things of the Lord. Well, it's our job as believers in the Lord to beautify the teachings of Christ. That is, we are to do what we must in order to make the doctrines of Christ more attractive, as it were, to those that are lost. That means that our behavior has to be consistent with what the Bible teaches. Our beliefs in the Bible has to be according to what the Bible teaches. And unless we do that, we can't really say we're Christians in the strictest sense of the word at all. And certainly when others look at us, that which is glorious in our sight becomes repulsive in their sight when they consider the inconsistencies in our life. If ever there was a time, a generation that needed to 
to be serious about this. It's today, beautifying the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the subject, but notice notice the saints to whom he is speaking here. In verse number 9, notice he calls them servants. Now, certainly this responsibility is for all Christians, just as whenever he, you know, before that he speaks about the fact that the bishops must be blameless. Well, that's true of every Christian, but it's absolutely essential for those that would hold the office, you see, of being a pastor in a church. Uh, And so what is required of them is desired of all. And so when we look at this and we, we see that word servants there and we think, well, this is just for them. No, this is for all of us. Uh, but the point is that, you know, in our society today, you, you think about these people as servants and that they would be the least likely of anyone to be able to beautify the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we might say, well, this is something for the pastor to do or the deacons to do or the Sunday school teachers to do. Now, you know, this is something for dedicated Christians to do. But he's talking about those that are slaves. And remember, in that day, the slaves had neither riches nor influence nor the opportunity that others did because their life is spent doing menial tasks. They feed the animals, they clean the stalls, they cook the food, wash the dishes, plow the fields, reap the grain. They're more likely to wear, uh, to wear chains of iron than bracelets of gold. And so how in the world can these people in such a lowly position have anything that they could possibly offer? I mean, after all, who's going to listen to them? They're just a servant, and yet that is exactly who he's speaking to, speaking to people that that are at the bottom rung on the ladder in society. Now, if that's true of them, those who had so little How much more true is it of us when we have so much? I mean, surely nobody here thinks we are exempt from this duty. And still, people today live without any regard for how their life is going to affect the way that others view the truth. Think about that. The people that you go to school with, young people, your co-workers, whoever it might be, your family members, How they view the truth of God's Word greatly depends on what they see in you. That's why uh, the old saying, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And that's true. They'll, They'll never sit down in the recliner and pick up the Bible and read the Word of God for themselves. They'll never study out the glorious doctrines of Jesus Christ. They'll never do that. But they're watching you. And what they see in you is going to determine to a great extent what they think about God. And our inconsistencies has oftentimes made the glorious gospel repulsive to them. And what we do is end up, we destroy their only hope of ever being saved. There are two quotes that I've used and continue to this day. I've been, I've been quoting these two men for 40 years or more because they said it so well. Dr. Robert Spear, who was a missionary for 30 years, and he said, after 30 years of leadership and missionary work, it's my conviction and conclusion that the greatest missionary problem is the failure of Christian people to live up to their profession. You've heard me read that, right? 
I mean, that, that's not anything new. But, but it, it's like so many times we, we, we hear that someone speaking out of the depths of his experience, being there on the mission field, trying to reach souls for Christ, and, and he identifies that as the number one problem. Another missionary said the chief obstacle to the spread of Christianity is not Hinduism, it's not Buddhism, but the rotten behavior of those who call themselves Christians. I think he's exactly right. You go out here and knock on the door and invite your neighbor to come to church, and the number one excuse that you'll hear is that, well, you know, there's just too many hypocrites in the church. I, I don't want to go down there with a bunch of hypocrites. That, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that that justifies their actions, but I'm saying that's exactly what so many of them think. Think about this. You think about someone like Gandhi, for example. You think about the way that he was respected and the followers that he had and the multitude of people that he influenced. We're talking about millions upon millions of people that were under his influence. Listen to what he said. There was a time when I wavered between Hinduism and Christianity. I think I would have become a Christian if it had not been for Christians. I would have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. You know, whenever I look back to whenever I was saved and think about the situation, the particular church that uh, we, we started attending, the people that, that we met, uh, the pastor that we had, and, uh, and, and I've often said, you know, I, I'm not sure that I would have... Uh, I'm not sure I would have maybe ever been saved had the circumstances been different. Had I been in some parts of the world, had I been exposed to something that was so hypocritical, something that was so obviously wrong, because even before I became a Christian, you know, I had some concept in my mind as to what Christianity ought to be like. You know, Christian shouldn't do this, Christian shouldn't do that. I mean, I don't know how I formed all of those opinions, and, and some of them wasn't even right, by the way. But I had some idea of what ought to be involved. If you're going to be a Christian, you know, that, that means you ought to be a, a good guy. I'll never forget the one time um, Dad invited a guy at work. He was a lot younger than Dad. Uh, and he invited him to, to go hunting with us. Both, and that, that was so unusual. I thought, why in the world is he inviting this guy to go hunting? And so we went squirrel hunting. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget what Dad w w said before we left. He said, he's telling Mom, he said, you know, this is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. You know, he is a Christian guy. He said, I've never, ever heard him say a cuss word. I've never... I've never seen him do anything that, you know, was bad. He's just one of those really, really nice guys. And I never got over that, that how did that man make a, such a, a deep impression on my dad? I'd never heard dad talk about that, like that, about anybody. Never, ever. But there was something about that guy and his Christian testimony that got my dad's attention. And I'm telling you, the people that you come into contact with, they won't tell you they're watching you, but they are. They might even mock you, 
But believe me, they're watching to see how you respond to their disrespect they show to you. And if they can get find one loose thread in your character, they'll do everything within their power to ruin your witness. You know, thinking about what Gandhi said, and you've got to wonder how many others might have felt the same way. I would have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. It ought to make us bow our heads in shame. It ought to drive us to our knees in prayer. It ought to motivate us to be blameless, as he said. Now, being blameless doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. It simply means that nobody can bring a just accusation against us. That is, they cannot bring some indictable accusation against us. There's no evidence, no proof that, you know, that, that, that we've done wrong. And that's the manner in which we're to live. We are to be blameless before others. The fact of the matter is, far too often we are our own worst enemy. One act of sin can destroy a thousand sermons. I look back over the years at the preachers that I've known, and I, I, I could just start calling names, in fact. I'm thinking about one man who started preaching at, I don't know, something like 13 or 14 years old. He was a pastor of a church, I think, by the time he was like 18. He pastored a huge church years ago in Kansas City. And here was a man that I, a good preacher, I mean a man that really seemed to be everything that you could desire in a preacher. And then the fall came and you just scratch your head and wonder, how in the world could that happen to somebody like that? And all of those sermons, those good scriptural sermons that he had preached all of those years, many years there, all of that was destroyed basically by that one act of immorality in his life. And then you look at others, of course, and it's not one act of immorality. It is a lifestyle of immorality. And, and it's really amazing that some people have the audacity to call themselves Christians when all of the evidence points the other way. Was that Scott that said amen then? Scott was raised in a preacher's home. His daddy was well-known, well-liked, and, and uh, a popular preacher back there in that part of the country and what have you. Scott knows a lot of the same preachers that I've known for over 40 years. And, and, and he, he knows those men. And he knows a lot of men that I don't know. Scott wasn't saved until here some months ago. And you, you know, we, we, we think about that wonder, how in the world can that be? Because I know he had heard the gospel over and over and over again. And yet he wasn't saved. And if you talk to him, uh, and he'll probably share with you, a lot of it had to do with what he saw in people that claimed to be Christians. And, and it becomes such an offense to you when you see that, that you really don't want anything to do with it. And let me tell you, it would be better if some people never even claimed to be a Christian than to claim to be a Christian and live the way they do. The only way for us to ever regain our, our ability to reach other people 
is, is to regain our purity. Because as long as we're like the world, we can't win the world. Our difference is our testimony. And when I talk about our difference, I'm not talking about being different just for the sake of being different. There are some folks like that. As some folks, you know, they don't think the women ought to cut their hair or they don't think they ought to wear makeup. By the way, let me say this. I think that is just fine if that's the way they want to live. I don't have a problem with that. That is their business. They they believe in modesty. They wear certain things. They do That is fine and dandy. There's no problem with that. But there is a huge problem with it when you associate that with whether or not you're more righteous, you're more godly than other people that don't do exactly like you do. And that's the trap a lot of them fall into, you see. So I'm not talking about being different just so you can say, oh, well, the church I attend, you know, they want you to dress a certain way and do a certain thing. And uh, and so, I, you know, I, I, I fit in there. I, after all, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to think I was less than a super spiritual giant or some kind. And so, so you know, I, I do that. I'm not talking about being different just to be different, just to draw attention to yourself. I'm talking about being different by just doing what the Bible says. That's all you've got to do to be different. Just do what the Bible says. Just follow the teachings of Christ. The doctrines that he has taught, line up your life with that, you'll be different. Joseph Stalin made an amazing statement. He said, I'm not afraid of the atomic weapons of the USA. Think about that. I'm not afraid of the atomic weapons of the USA. He said, there's only one thing I'm afraid of, and that is that the Christians of America and Great Britain will wake up and begin to live like Christ, and if they do, communism in our world is doomed. Boy, did he ever get that right. We've got some politicians that need to think about that because their attitude toward America as it was tells us a lot about their spiritual state. It's time we woke up and realized that we have a responsibility to beautify, to adorn the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, we've got to separate ourselves from the world. We've got to return to the paths of righteousness. We've got to do whatever's necessary to regain our integrity before others and to establish our credibility before others. Let me ask you, do you have credibility among your friends and your co-workers? I'm not asking, have you won them over to your way of thinking? I'm not asking, do they agree with everything you believe? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, do you have any credibility with them? In other words, whenever they look at you, and even though there's a difference in, in your beliefs and what have you, they, if they're honest, they have to conclude, you know, I don't believe what they do about the Bible and I don't believe what they do about Christ, but I'll tell you what, they, they believe it and they practice it. And because of that, they lend some credibility to the things that you say. And that's what beautifying the doctrines of Christ is all about. Now, that's the responsibility that we have. And he's speaking to those in the church that was the least likely of all. Because remember, back at that time, people still had servants at that time. And these are people that didn't have the right, you know, to just get up and to go into uh, where they pleased and to do as they pleased. They had to live under the authority of their masters. Now, notice the steps 
the steps that have to be taken if we're going to adorn the doctrines of Christ. There are four things that he mentions. Verse number 9, he starts out by talking about obedience. He says to do this, to beautify the teachings of Christ, he says you have to be obedient unto your own masters. That word masters is a strong word. In fact, the word despot comes from that. It's speaking about somebody that is a dictator. It's speaking about somebody that has absolute authority over you. It's speaking about the person that literally owned them. Think about that for a while. And he says, be obedient unto your own master. Now, remember, all of these people are in the same church, by the way. So you got people meeting in the church, and over here maybe you have on this side here the master, and over on this side is one of his servants. The man over here is telling the man over here exactly what time he's got to get up in the morning, what he's got to do during the day, and so forth. You talk about the possibility for there to be tension in the church. Or for there to be pride, how easy it would be for the master to think of himself as being somewhat superior to the servant, you see. And so this is what he's dealing with. And notice he says, and to please them well in all things. In other words, that goes beyond strict obedience. That has to do with showing concern for them. You you servants, show concern for your masters. Obey your masters. And here's the point. We'll never be able to beautify the teachings of Christ until we learn to respect authority and show concern for others. You know, and those two things go hand in hand, by the way. Because just, you know, somebody being in authority doesn't mean that they're going to be able to exert a good influence over others. It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to eliminate any conflict between the two parties unless there is concern for one another. And, and, and if we're ever going to make the, the teachings of Christ beautiful, there has to be concern for one another. It, it's, it's so amazing, you know, it's, it's a lot of times we expect people to respect authority and yet we conduct ourselves in such a way that it makes it nearly impossible for them to do so. So the number one thing he starts out with is obedience. Learn to be obedient. And by the way, that starts in the home, does it not? Remember the first commandment with promise. That's uh, honoring to obey your parents. And uh, the, the promise is a prosperous life and longevity. That's where it starts. But it ought to never stop. Then he speaks about submissiveness. Not only obedience, but he says, verse number 9, not answering again. That means talking back. <laughs> well, rare is the child who does not go through some stage in his or her life where they don't start talking back. And, and, and uh, the point he's making here is not only are you to obey, but you're to do it without any question, without any argument, without any hesitation. Probably every parent here at some stage has said to the child when they ask that famous question, why? You said, you can't go here, you can't go there. And they said, why? And you probably said, because I'm the parent and you're the child. That's why, you see. And, and, and the, the fact of the matter is, 
that ought to settle it in the mind of that child. You know, you're not running the household. You don't work and make the money to pay the bills and to buy the food and all of those things. And as long as you're there, you ought to respect your parents. And we need to do it with a good attitude. There's a big difference between just obeying someone and obeying them with a good attitude. Submitting to authority is one thing. Submitting to authority with a sweet spiritual attitude, that's entirely different. You know, you can, you can force somebody to obey you with a 12-gauge shotgun. You can say, all right, now I want you to go out here and work in the fields, uh, you know, 12 hours a day in the hot sunshine, and I'm going to be standing out there with my double-barrel shotgun. You better not stop. Well, that's quite a motivation, isn't it? You can motivate them to do that. But the point is there shouldn't be any kind of motivation like that because we ought to do, what does the Bible say about doing all things, you know, cheerfully? We ought to do all things as unto the Lord. And that applies to every area of our life where it talks about this matter of submission. And it's this disrespect for authority, it's this this unwillingness to submit yourselves, remember what Paul said, to one another. Now, I realize the husband is the head of the home. God appointed him in that position, but with the same token, there is a sense in which even the husband is to be submissive to the wife in that he takes her into consideration in the decisions that he makes and the things that he does. So we are to submit ourselves one to another. So if we're going to beautify the teachings of Christ, there must be obedience and there must be an attitude of submission. But look in verse 10 now. There must be honesty. He says, not purloining. That word means to keep or to steal. And, and keep in mind, in those days, of course, it was a very common thing for the slaves uh, to not have all of their needs met in, in the case of a cruel master, for example, and so they didn't have everything that they needed, so what do you do when you don't have what you need? Well, there's a great temptation to dip your hand in the till and to take what you need. In other words, to steal what you need. And there's a good present-day application, I think, for that because if you don't believe me, ask the business owners who suffer loss as, as a result of the employees stealing them blind. It happens all of the time. People that are on the inside, people that have access to the goods, people that know how to get stuff out of the store, and it's a major problem with, with, with every big store, in fact. Employees stealing and the whole point is here that if we're going to be an effective witness, we need a reputation for being a person that is honest, somebody that you can really trust. You would be shocked. You would be amazed if you knew how many times I have known of situations in the church where members of the church were dishonest with each other. The instances where people took advantage of other people because they were kind to them and they said, you know, I'll do this and I'll do that and they never did it. Literally what they did was to steal from their fellow church members. 
and, 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 and you, you can think, oh, surely that could never happen anywhere close to here. But I'm telling you, it does. It does. And when that happens, you've totally lost your credibility. You are not able any longer to beautify, to adorn the doctrines of Christ. You're making the doctrines of Christ repulsive to others. Now, there's one more thing. Verse 10 and that's faithfulness, showing all good fidelity. And this is in all areas of our life, by the way. We're to be faithful in all things. And boy, that one statement opens the door for a thousand sermons. It's speaking about us being dependable, us being faithful. Well, the truth is a lot of folks don't have a very good track record when it comes to the matter of being faithful. Some people are all talk and no show. They claim to love the Lord. They claim to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They claim that they'd really like to do something for Christ, but well, a lot of them are so unfaithful you can't depend on them. You, you, you couldn't give them an office. You couldn't give them a position because you don't ever know what they're going to do, whether they're going to be there or not. You stop and think about the basis upon which the Lord rewards His people. And it tells so much about the importance of faithfulness. Whenever, and keep in mind, faithfulness requires different things from different people. God doesn't expect the same thing from all of us. A lot of these people are a lot younger than I am. God, God expects more out of me than He does them. There are those that haven't been saved all of that long. They haven't, they haven't had time to really to grow and to mature spiritually. God expects more out of those of you that have been saved for years and you are a spiritually mature Christian. God expects more out of you than He does out of them. There are those that are faithful. You can just depend upon them to be here every time the doors are open. And then there are those who are not and God is going to reward us on the basis of whether we are faithful or not. It's not who has the most talent. And by the way, it wouldn't make a difference who has the most talent. You can't just go saying, well, you know, we're going to, for example, we're going to audition for the choir. Some churches do that. I've never figured out. I, I, I just can't figure out how, how you do that. Some of them hire professional musicians that play every Sunday. Uh, the instruments. They're not even church members. They're not even of the same denomination. They believe different things. They're just hired hands that come into play because they are extremely talented. And that happens. Man, I'd rather have somebody who couldn't carry a tune in a bucket who is faithful up there singing from his or her heart you know you can depend upon them. When it comes to Sunday school teachers or whatever, you know, it's, it's not the person that necessarily is the most talented, but you've got to have people that you can depend upon. Now, let me sum this up. These four things that he mentions are all basic. There is nothing here, you know, that ought to just stand out and leap out as being extraordinary in any way. These are all, this is basic stuff. Being obedient, you know, being faithful, 
being submissive. Uh, th- this is just basic stuff. But this shows the practicality of Christianity, and it shows us how we're able to measure the sincerity of people. And, and of course, we shouldn't go around trying to measure everybody else's sincerity, but it gives us the standard by which we measure our own sincerity when it comes to serving the Lord and to ask ourselves, is my lifestyle adorning the doctrines of Christ? The way I live, what I do, the attitude I entertain, does it make more beautiful the teachings of Jesus Christ to others? When they look at me, does, does it beautify the things that our Lord taught? Well, it should because it all boils down to that question, you know, do others see Jesus in me? When we think about His teachings and remember He's the only one who ever perfectly lived everything he taught. I, I often wished I could. Somebody, you know, I've, I've heard people say it. You know, I've heard preachers say it. You know, they, they said, if, 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 if you can't live it, don't preach it. Well, I got news for you. We'd all have to resign. That gets everybody. I'm supposed to preach it because because it's true, because it's God's Word. I I sure don't live anything perfectly. But I'll tell you what, we ought to be faithful. We ought to be submissive. We ought to be obedient. We ought to, by our lifestyle and attitude, live a life that is such that what we teach from the Word of God is beautified by the manner in which we behave. That's what this is all about. Paul says to Titus, look, there are a lot of problems in this church. There are things you need to set in order. There are things that, that's, that's got to be done. And I'm going to leave you in Crete. I'm not going to take you with me. I'm sure that, you know, Titus might have thought, no, I want to go with you. Or he might have thought, man, I want to go anywhere but here. I want to get off of this island. I want to go somewhere else. And Paul said, no, buddy, they need you here. And I want you to stay here. And these are the problems that that exist. And I want you to work with these people and help these people that they might adorn the doctrines of Christ. And I pray tonight as we leave that every one of us might, might leave here thinking, you know, I know that's the way I ought to live. And from now on, that's the way I'm going to try my very best to live. I I I want others to see Christ in me. I want to bring beauty to the things that he taught. And you just go down the list. Remember the sermons we've already had, you know, what Jesus said, what Jesus said about forgiveness, what Jesus said about this and that. We need to put those things in practice. Uh, You know, it's one thing to get up and teach a message about forgiveness. It's another thing. Whenever somebody knows that they have done you wrong and you forgive them anyway, you display unconditional love for them when they don't deserve it at all. Let me tell you, that makes an impression on their heart. Boy, they must really love them. I I, I did them wrong. I wasn't honest with them. I wasn't fair with them. And they forgave me and they just kept loving me. And in doing that, you bring beauty to the teachings of Christ. Let's all stand.
Father, tonight we thank you for those that that we've known down through the years and those that we know, those that are right here, even in this room this evening, that have made it their life mission to live in such a way as to beautify the things that Jesus taught. And I pray that you'll impress that upon our heart each and every day of our lives that we might be mindful of the great influence that we have on others, whether it's our children, whether it's our neighbors, our co-workers, or whoever it might be, to know that they're watching us and to know that we have the responsibility and we should count it our great privilege and delight to be able to live out, to flesh out the glorious teachings of Jesus Christ in all that we say and do that in so doing, that others might take an interest in Christ and be born again. For we pray in His name. Amen.